Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fluency, a podcast dedicated to exploring the intersection of yoga and psychology, a place to consider all aspects of our humanness and tools to bring home to our own inner lives. I'm Livia Cohen Shapiro. I'm a mama, a wife, a yoga teacher. I'm a somatic therapist and founder of Applied Psychology for Yogis and the School of Ecstatic Unfoldment. So you all, this is my first endeavor into a podcast. So either a good idea, a great idea, or a a terrible idea. We'll just see what happens. (laughs) But uh, over the next six weeks or so in this first season of Fluency, I'll be bringing you some excerpts and interviews that very much align with and reflect the teachings and experiences of my upcoming course, Emotional Literacy for Yogis. So I want to, in this first episode, give you a little bit of information on that course before we dive in to the first teaching uh, in this series. So Emotional Literacy for Yogis is a nine-month web-based course, and it blends academic rigor, deep personal inquiry, and specific techniques, somatic psychology techniques, to bring yoga and psychology really into a more seamless integration, both in your practice, but also in your teaching, if you are teaching. And it's designed for yoga practitioners and teachers alike. So whether you're teaching or practicing, this is for you. And for any style of practitioner and teacher, and really regardless of how long you've been practicing and teaching, it's perfect. Really all you need actually for this course is a body, uh, a practice, uh, a computer, and and a longing. So I designed this course a while back because, you know, I was not finding that yoga teaching and training was actually teaching me how to be emotionally literate or socially adept. Um, I I learned about uh, theories of the emotions, the rasas and and other theories of emotions. And I learned a little bit about maybe group dynamics because I was in them, but it wasn't really until I went and studied uh, somatic psychology and all the many aspects of, of that in my graduate school program where I really started to build this fluency around and literacy around my, not only my somatic life, my body life, my felt sense life, but my emotional life, uh, how I was in relationships and my social life, um, and also what I would call the soul life, how the soul is emerging. And this really was because I landed in Boulder and was um, at Naropa and then also studying with my long-term teacher and mentor, a woman who is steeped in uh, human development and earth-based rites of passage. So this, these were some of key teachings that I actually um, found missing in some of the yoga training contexts I had been in. And yet I kept seeing people really longing for that out of the yoga. And there was seemed to be this mismatch between what some of us wanted from the yoga and what we were actually getting. And now part of this is due to time, like think of a 200 hour yoga teacher training or a 100 hour yoga immersion. That's actually not that much time. And so to build an understanding around, um, 
trauma and aspects of the nervous system and polyvagal theory and attachment theory and the holding environment and all the many theories around how our emotions work and developing stronger felt sense and also how to like what's that actually a healthy group dynamic and healthy community that's not like inherent necessarily to yoga per se these are skills that um, really we need to learn and then apply to the yoga. The yoga philosophy and the yoga context can inform that and can help us, but contemporary psychology could also really help us. So this course <laughs> begins October 17th, and to find out more about that, go to my website, which is ecstaticunfoldment.com. And if you are interested in really developing a literacy around these various aspects of our being, not just the felt sense of the body, but our heart space, our, um, our emotional life, our, and emotional intelligence, but being socially uh, aware and how to build healthy community and relationships, and this could really serve our, both our personal relationships to yoga, but also uh, much more deeply into like the, the bigger scene of yoga, if you will. So if you feel called, please join me in that course that begins October 17th. And welcome again to Fluency. I hope you enjoy very much this first season. We've got a couple really lovely uh, teachings, uh, me teaching, and then a couple interviews with folks who um, have taken the, the course before in prior years and are just really incorporating these teachings into their work and into their lives in ways, you know what, when I first created the course and, 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 the, and the curriculum, I never would have imagined it would look like that. And uh, I hope you are inspired and enjoy hearing from them. So let's dive in. I think this concept of being versus doing is a inquiry that we see a lot in the context of yoga, self-growth, healing, um, diff many different arenas, um, this being versus doing. And even I've definitely been to a fair share of yoga classes where uh, the theme is, you know, being more, doing less that kind of thing. And so this idea of, of being versus doing, um, what is that? What's the sort of psychological component to that? How does this, um, so what are some, what, what are ways that we can um, understand this, this concept of being versus doing? So, and, and then also I, I want to tie this into, um, and I get this question a lot. People seem to be, a lot of you are kind of interested in what I ha what I think about the yoga and phenomena, like yoga and goats, yoga and, you know, beer, yoga and this and yoga and that. And um, I do have a lot of thoughts on that, actually. Um, some, a, a variety of thoughts on that. But um, the, the being versus doing piece actually ties into that. So I want to also bring that in at some point. Okay. So being versus doing. So what's, what's that all about? So in, in my understanding, this concept of, of being, beingness is, is, um, a very, uh, 
whole, fluid, deep core, uh, sort of abiding in our own self phenomena. Um, I like to equate this idea of being, for me, the idea of being actually relates back to our earliest imprints and patterns, patterning. Our earliest imprint, um, being in the womb and infancy. This idea of being really get, comes, at least from my standpoint and, and how I teach this, that's really the, the basic imprint of where we get our beingness from is um, in, um, in the, our wombing and in our infancy. And think about it, like when you're in the womb, you're just being. You, you, you don't have, you know, you don't have much to do other than grow yourself and be you're in, in the, the fluids of the womb and you're just doing your thing, gestating. And in our earliest infancy, we are being, it's all about infancy is all about being, um, that we are a miracle because we exist. We are special because we exist. We are worthy of um, being of, of love and being enamored because, because we exist. It's being. We don't have to do anything special. We already are special with our beingness. The other thing about the being that we really get in that womb and early infancy stage is um, we really can't do that much for ourselves, right? We We do need other people to... Um, our, our caretakers to take care of us, to meet our needs. And so our job is to um, be in our fluids, be in our skin, be in our body. And when we feel um, that basic urge of, of hunger, comfort, discomfort, we cry out. And so that's really about the, the, the being. The being is really that, the, those, that very first stage of life. And so for me, also being is like um, at a at a rhythmic uh, level. It's very fluid. At the the body systems level, it's about the fluids of the body, about the organs of the body. We don't have to hold ourselves up with our musculature. We exist in our sort of more fluid uh, capacity. So the fluids of the body and the organs of the body. And I definitely would encourage you if you are um, want to apprentice or take up this inquiry of being, hang out with infants, newborns and infants, and watch how they are just simply being. Um, and the way I think it's really fascinating to watch, um, like really observe tummy time. Tummy time is so... Um, cool with with infants because when we're they're on their tummy there's this fir, the, the first stage before they can really like lift their head and even look around it's they're really just like hanging out they're just on their belly rest they're, they're, they're rested and and what's great about that is there's um it's uh it's very regulating to uh the vagus nerve um and digestion and we could have a whole other conversation about that but um, and from that rested place, there is a doing that can occur. So that 
lift of the head and even just that look of the eyes. I mean, we even see it like in um, nursing or even bottle feeding very young infants where we're holding them and a a lot of um, uh, lactation consultants will even encourage uh, you to have the baby's belly to your belly um, if you're nursing them so that the vagus nerve can relax and they can relax and you can relax. You can be so that this turn of the head and the sucking action can occur, the doing that needs to happen can occur. So being in that, it's that real, that first stage of life, this first rhythm um, that we come into, uh, very flowing, being in our fluids, being in our organs, just existing. Doing. Doing is is action-oriented. It involves our musculature. It involves our bones. Doing also involves um, our spine. So it involves a tone of the spine. It involves a tone of the vagus nerve. Even like in our in our infancy, just the act of of eating, nursing, or from a bottle requires a sucking action, which is a doing action, and it's hard to do that to do that if you're not rested and relaxed. So the being um, sort of precedes the doing. Uh, the doing, like I just said, the bones, the muscles, a sort of a, a spine situation, uh, having having some tone in the spine, um, not being hypertonic in the spine or hypotonic in the spine. But And we actually find that um, spinal integrity through a, a uh, kind of a, a coming deeper into relationship with, with that being. Like it's almost like finding how we are in space and in our fluids allows it. There's many, many things that occur there, but it's almost like imagine like you're watching an, an infant on, on their tummy and you can see how they're resting and they're relaxing and then they're able to start to lift the head, that's where we start to build this tone of the spine. And so we start to learn that we can be relaxed and doing. And even like, um, I remember in, in grad school, like we would learn about um, the, the, like the nervous system and the vagus nerve and hypotonic, hypertonic, all these different things. Um, but what's really cool is that we actually learn really well when we are, um, when we're relaxed but alert. So um, that's why, and I always find it really, here's this a little bit of a tangent, but like in a lot of um, trainings, I, I always encourage students, like if you need to lay on your belly and be kind of like propped up like this, I actually think that's great because you're getting um, feedback to the vagus nerve and the belly. It's like, it's actually really good to be kind of rested on the floor, but um, on your elbows and looking around, like that's actually a very relaxed but alert way to learn. Another really great way is to be on one of those big physio balls. So you can start playing with being alert, but finding the healthy integrity of your spine, not being over rigid or under rigid. Doing also involves um, kind of a bit of will force, right? Healthy will force, healthy, empowered will force. Um, so there's a bit of that. Doing, we could also, from a more rhythmic, many of you know, I I study um, the five rhythms a lot. Um, And in that map, 
doing is the second rhythm. It's um, a staccato rhythm. It's, it's more angular in the state of life. That's childhood. It's like once toddler and into childhood is very doing, you know, and I watched this in my daughter, Olive go from pure being to doing right. Um, she wants to push her stroller. She wants to do into everything. She's doing things, but not before an ample amount of time of just being. And even now she needs a lot of like oscillation between being able to drop in and be, and she still nurses. So we have those opportunities throughout the day where she can rest and be, and then whoop, she's off to go do her thing. So the being and the doing. So the being and the doing piece for me actually is a conversation around our earliest imprints. So some of us, for many reasons, didn't get a chance to really be. What if in the womb, we um, it wasn't like a, a, a hospitable environment? What if it was a hostile environment? What if um, mom smoked the whole time, you know, you were pregnant and you had that toxin coming in? Um, what if you, um, had a mom that circumstantially was under extreme stress and duress. Right? What if like, and that's all circumstantial. That's nobody's fault. It's it, but, but these do make in, these do make an impact. What if the birth was particularly traumatic or what if um, mom was totally distracted when you, when you were an infant or what if mom um, was totally like anxious and like in your face a lot, like, you know, checking, 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 checking. So, um, and again, that's, that's no fault to mom. It's like, we're, as, as moms, we're doing the best we can, but we start to learn a little bit about what it means to be, what it means to be. And then how do we support the going out and, and being active and, and, and doing and finding our healthy spine and what are ways that we've learned to self-orient and what are the ways that we've like, maybe we want more time to just rest and, and, and be, and maybe we had to get up and do really fast. So there's a lot of reasons why it wouldn't quite work out that way. Uh, what does this have to do with yoga? Well, there's so many very natural opportunities to heal a being versus doing wound. Um, in yoga, belly down back bends, you all are, there's so many reasons why they're profound, but, um, the more I study developmental movement, the more I study early development, human development, the more I watch my child, um, I can tell you that the belly down back bends are not only are they necessary, but, um, they are so healing and reparative at a variety of levels. And you don't even have to necessarily be able to speak to the psychological component of it, like just do them and they'll be good for you. And it'll kind of work itself out. It's what we call yoga that is inherently therapeutic, even though it's not psychotherapy. So um, the belly down back bends, very, 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 very cool to start, um, start to in inquire about this being versus doing. Shavasana. Raise your hand if when you practice by yourself, you don't do a long Shavasana. 
Come on, raise it high if that's you. <laughs> like, you know, you got whatever time you have to do your home practice and it's like on to the next thing. So um, are you giving yourself a Shavasana or um, taking a nap in the middle of the day or even just like a respite, you know, just laying down for 20 minutes or even just like getting in the bath or the shower for 10 minutes. So, you know, these are ways that we can repair the being. Um, also, like literally feeling, right, I'm sitting in a chair right now, maybe you are too. Can you sit here just for a moment? Let's do this together. And as we sit here, like, can you actually feel your seat on the, on the chair? Can you feel your back rest into the chair? Can you come into contact like with your organs for a moment, just feeling the fluid and the visceral body? These are all ways we can quickly drop into our being. I cannot tell you how important the rest is. Uh, meditation too, you all. I think there's a big misnomer out there to do something to make the meditation happen. A lot of meditation techniques with a dharana, with a focus, is just to focus our mind enough that we can keep dropping into deeper and deeper layers of being. But we, our impulse, especially as adults, do, 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 as if the doing has more value. And this is where I want to go with this. The being and the doing, they both have equal value. Doing is not more valuable than being. I'm going to say that again. Doing is not more valuable than being. Being is valuable enough. And I think one of the, and I'm going to get teary-eyed because it's so profound. One of the things that you, I think, learn when you become a parent is that the existence of the child has already changed your life. Simply them existing, their being. If that's all it ever is, that will have been enough. And that's what's so profound. And what my one of my deepest hopes for each of you and all the students who come through Applied Psychology for Yogis and, and the work that I do, my hope for you is that you can come into contact with the value, the worth of your existence simply because your soul has come into this body. But that has a value to it that we cannot even put a word to. We've tried by giving you a name. And then we do this practice, yoga, namaha, to bow to that name that is you, to honor your being. That is enough. Now, so resting, eye contact, coming into contact with self, the belly down back bends, super good for uh, creating balance with the being and doing. Even doing practices uh, like in your standing poses or any pose really, continuing to drop into the way that you can rest into the pose and keep coming, tapping into that flow rhythm, coming into the organs and the fluids repeatedly, that's, that's also really good. Um, 
let me let me thread this more into the kind of the psychological components with the being and doing and the yoga and how we can repair that also when if we can teach in a way to our students where we don't only reward action but we 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 pray or we don't only praise action but we praise the being i think is really can be a really sweet and valuable teaching technique like Watch the ways, um, the ways in which you give praise in your classes, when the times you say beautiful or good, or you make eye contact, or you acknowledge students. Are you only acknowledging them when they're doing something, like when they're doing the alignment that you've, that you've asked in, the, in the, any given pose? Are you praising rest? Are you praising coming to class? Are you praising just simply showing up? Are you praising the student who comes into child's pose? Are you praising like resting? So we keep like uh, kind of speaking to the value that simply is of our being. That can be really helpful. Also just to take it down a notch with the situation of like the deeper pose gets more attention. The doing, the doing, the doing. So like that. Um, so here's what I also want to say with the, the yoga and stuff, or dare I even use the word gimmicks. I, personally, and you're welcome to disagree with me, I don't really care if you want to pair yoga with anything. <laughs> like, it's fine. You know, like the yoga and the goats and the yoga and the this and the yoga and the whatever, whatever. Like, fine. I just want people to be aware of what they're doing <laughs> or, or what's, what's at stake. And here's my current kind of take on, on, on this phenomena right now. When we continue to pair yoga with something else, I think what we are subtly saying is it's not enough by itself. I think we are covertly and subtly hinting at yoga in and of itself is not it's like it needs to dress up. It needs to be paired with something special. It needs to do something more than what it actually is. It needs to do something more than what it actually is. And we see this in these blanket statements of yoga will heal this and yoga will heal this. Like it's if the yoga is the one-stop shop to a life, uh, you know, a good life. It's a part of my good life, but it's not the only thing. And one of the really great things about an asana practice, a meditation practice, in a very kind of, uh, I hesitate to use the word pure form because I think we could debate on that, but in a very maybe naked form, is like, let's just take it at what it is and see what that is. Because if we don't know what the yoga can do for us by itself, then we're not going to really know what it is. If we're always embarking on a yoga that's dressed up with something or always got something in tow or always on special, you know, special occasion, then we're not going to actually come into relationship with what it is at the base layer. So, and so I, I know that there's a lot of you out there who are actually really deeply triggered by the yoga and, and the blah, blah, blah because you write to me, like you're, you're telling me, I'm like, this is so triggering to me. So here's my 
where I'm thinking might be one of the, uh, why it's like deeply getting at, at some of us, which is that at a certain level, if we pair it back, we pair it back, we pair it back, we pair it back. I'm getting curious as, curious to, is this yoga and beer, yoga and goats, yoga and I don't know, what, whatever we're doing it now. Um, it's like it has to constantly do something to be special. And I think for many of us, it might be tapping into a being versus doing wound. Because what all of us are looking for at a certain level, I think, it's part of our human nature, is to be worthy because we exist. And we live in society, and so we do have to dress up and wear different hats. And we do have to, like, do something with ourselves at a certain level. That's part of being an adult. And, like, that's a beautiful thing and a wonderful thing. We don't have to stop doing that. But we all need a refuge, whether that's a practice or a person or a place where we can be naked and vulnerable and raw and just be in our rawness. And I think that's why so many women um, or so many people are transformed by birth, both the person giving birth and the witness of the birth, because it is one of those places in our in, in life where we get to see the pure, raw nakedness of experience. And I think that's also one of the p places where folks do feel um, uh, feel inspired by yoga as it can be, the practice can be a refuge for us to tap into a part of ourselves that doesn't have to dress up and be special, that it's special just because it exists. And something about moving in these shapes, something about learning this ph philosophy, something about be attuning to breath while moving, is a, is a pathway into a part of ourselves that is worthy because it exists. That part that exists exists inside, but also is connected to something else. It's descended and transcended. And if we can't stay connected to our being and our worth of being, we will constantly need to do in the effort to try to find that space again, almost like an over-efforting or an overdoing when really what we're seeking is this. So I know I'm dancing between kind of opinion, personal opinion, philosophy, uh, psychology here, kind of all wrapped in. But my hunch, my working theory, is that this yoga and the gimmicks piece is is kind of stirring something up in a lot of you, you feel uncomfortable and, and, and I'm wondering if maybe it's, it's tapping us into a being versus doing wound, which I mean, you're, we're human. Like most of us have it to a certain various degrees. And at some level, perhaps the yoga was intended to help us heal that or come deeper into our being. And now this mass thing of like, Let's dress it up as this. Let's pair it with this. Let's take it out on a date with this. Let's make it special with this. Why, like, why does the yoga always have to be made special? Why can't it just be special because it is, because it's a practice that taps you into yourself and connects you with others? Isn't that enough?
So like that. <laughs> so what do we do about that? Um, well, if you feel like that theory doesn't apply to you at all, okay, toss it out. <laughs> but if it does, my, my challenge to you or my, my charge to you is to start to inquire about um, your relationship to the being and the doing. How might you stay connected to this, these places of, I can just be, I can be vulnerable, I can be naked, I can be just myself, I don't have to do anything special. A lot of times we partner up with the person we've partnered up with because of the vast sea of dating we've done. We've realized, oh, with this, you, with this person, the reason this person feels special and unique is because I don't really actually have to dress up for them. Of the, of the many people that I put on the fancy outfits for and did my hair and put on makeup, like actually for you, like you're cool with just whatever that is and whatever that is, is also changing. So, and we see that too in, in very close friendships as well. So if you're willing, let's take a seat or if you're standing, you can lean against a wall or even just feel your feet making contact with the floor, whether it's carpet or wood or concrete or the grass. And you can close your eyes or gaze out in front of you a few feet. Just notice the sounds around you, the breeze, birds, rain. Draw your attention in and feel your breath. Relax into your organs a little more. And even just for 10 seconds, let's let go together into our being. I look forward to hearing more about how this inquiry goes for you and see you all soon.